So good to be with you, City Light. This is awesome. My name's Doug. I get to be one of the pastors for our church. I get to follow Jesus with all of you guys and honestly with all the people who aren't here this morning. Uh, We probably sent over 50 people down to Kansas City. Some of them literally are on the road right now, and uh, we're excited to do that. They're down there celebrating our new church plant in Kansas City. It's their public launch, like their tell everybody, invite all your friends, and so we sent a bunch of people down there as well. The mission of our church is to multiply disciples and churches, so we get excited when there's people gone, when there's people sent out to go help plant another church. Many of you guys, you gave financially to City Light Kansas City. You've been praying for them, so thank you for your part in multiplying churches. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're tracking through Jesus's most famous speech, the Sermon on the Mount. And you guys heard the scripture text read, okay? So pray for a brother, can you, just a little bit? Like we're going to be talking about some interesting stuff this morning, but the the main thing we're going to be focusing on is rules. And I know you are all so excited, but I promise the way Jesus handles rules isn't boring. In fact, it's quite revolutionary. Rules are a funny thing, aren't they? Like some of us, we hate rules. Others of us, we love rules. Just last season, the NFL actually introduced a new rule to their football game, and it was focused on targeting. Basically, the rule said that you can't tackle someone if you're leaning forward or you like have your head tilted forward. I mean, at first blush, it sounds like a really smart and safe rule, right? But a lot of the players and coaches and fans did not like the rule. They felt like it couldn't be called fairly or consistently. It made the game too weak or too soft. In fact, there were some really interesting viral videos that came out in some nice hugs on the field. And one football player, a theologian named Richard Sherman for the San Francisco 49ers, he said, the rule is idiotic and should be dismissed immediately. Maybe the biggest complaint about this new targeting rule is that it made football not football. Like the rule itself had taken away the very essence of the game, the fun and the power and the passion of the game. If you can't tackle a guy with your head tilted forward, then how can you play the game? The rules had gone too far. In an attempt to be safe and clear, the rule had taken away the heart of the game. The same thing happened in Jesus' day, except they weren't wearing pads and helmets as far as I know. There were these religious leaders, they were like local celebrities, and they loved to make up rule after rule after rule. They would start with one of God's original rules, which is written down for us in the Old Testament of our Bible, but then they would add to that rule, and they would add to that rule until they had so many rules that the complexity and the confusion of their rules made their rules more important than God's original rule. It's like they were literally trying to change people from the outside in. 
So in Jesus' day, every which way you went, no matter what you were doing, there was a rule you had to follow, like a law you had to obey. You can't walk this many steps on this particular day. You can't buy that kind of food. You can't chew bubble gum while you're driving your oxen cart. You can't root for the New England Patriots. That's actually in the Bible, okay? I haven't read it anywhere yet, but I think it's in the Bible. There were rules everywhere, okay? So when Jesus shows up on the scene, everybody's wondering, what's Jesus going to say about this? It'd be kind of like if Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman were doing a first take episode on rules. Are they good or bad? And they call in Jesus as a special guest. And they're like, okay, Jesus, what do you have to say about all these rules that the religious leaders keep adding? Are they good or bad? Are we changed from the outside in or from the inside out? And Jesus' answer to that question is Matthew 5, 17 through 19. Look at it with me. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus here, he zooms in on God's original law, the stuff that actually got written down. It's in the Bible. You and I can still read it today. And he says, man, I'm not coming to throw out those rules. In fact, I'm here to obey those rules and really bring a fulfillment to that law. He continues in verse 18, and he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is saying that this law that was given thousands of years before this moment is still valuable. It's still good. Not a single iota or dot, not a period or a comma should be taken out of that. In fact, Jesus has come to fulfill that, to obey it. Jesus values God's law, all of it. So, If Jesus were to stop right there, then Stephen A. and Max Kellerman, they would have still had a good episode, right? Like they got their answer out of Jesus, they could move on. But Jesus doesn't stop right there. What Jesus does is he takes this debate about rules and he turns it up to 11. He amplifies this debate when he says in verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, right at that moment, the crowds around Jesus would have been like, oh, shoot, did you hear what he just said? Bombs dropped. Where are you at now, religious leaders? Where are you at now, all you nitpicky pastors? Let me explain, okay? When Jesus said, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, that would have driven the religious leaders crazy. They would have been infuriated because they had built their lives, their religious kingdoms, their religious courts, their religious celebrity on the idea that their rules were tightening the law of God, making it more clear, making it more difficult. Only the super righteous could actually make it in their religious kingdom. But then Jesus just said, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments. Jesus was saying that all of the religious leaders' legalism 
all of their outside-in religion, all of their rules after rules after rules weren't only unnecessary, weren't only silly, but they were flat out wrong. By adding rule after rule after rule, they had missed the whole point. In an attempt to be good and righteous by the rules, they had taken away the true and original heart of the law. Football wasn't football anymore. Following God wasn't following God anymore. In essence, Jesus said the rules matter, but not as much as the heart. The rules matter. Jesus even came to obey them and fulfill them, but they don't matter as much as the heart. Any parent gets this, right? Like rules matter, such as don't run and play in the street when cars are driving by. But that rule doesn't matter as much as the heart of your child. Teachers understand this. Any classroom needs good rules to maintain order in that classroom, but those rules that maintain good order in the classroom are in place so that you can teach and instruct the heart of your students. In Jesus' kingdom, just like in parenting or teaching or any other area of life, the heart matters most. Rules and laws and decisions and behavior, they matter, sure, but the heart matters most. And with that in place, Jesus goes on, and in the next few minutes of his sermon, all the way through the rest of chapter 5, Jesus tells us what changes. What does that mean? Like, if righteousness isn't outside in, but it's inside out, then what changes? If the heart really does matter most, what does that change in our lives? And the first big change that Jesus highlights is this. When the heart matters most, relationships matter more than religion. When the heart matters most, relationships matter more than religion. Let's unpack this, starting in verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, That's a law of God. It's in the Bible, Exodus 20, verse 13. You can go check it out and read it there. And I think we'd all agree that's a good rule, right? Like we shouldn't kill people, okay? And if you do kill someone, then you should have some judgment. You should do some time, probably a lot of time, okay? Like it's a good rule, a God rule. But then these religious leaders would take that good God rule and add a bunch of other rules onto it. So just imagine with me what they might have done. They'd say, okay, well, if we're not supposed to murder, then really we shouldn't have any knives because you might use that to murder someone. Well, uh, we may need knives to go hunt food so that we can eat, but then let's do this. We'll make knives with a hunting logo on there, then you can only use that hunting logo knife to go hunt. So if we catch you going to the grocery store or out running errands without a, with a hunting logo, that, with, a, with a knife that doesn't have a hunting logo, we'll fine you for that. Or if you're heading out to the fields to go hunting and your knife doesn't have have the logo on it, then we'll find you for that because you got to have the right knife in the right place at the right time. You get the idea, right? Rules everywhere, okay? It was righteousness from the outside in. But Jesus takes it a wholly different direction. Look at verse 22. But I say to you 
that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, church, where does anger come from? The heart. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Insults and accusations like, you fool, where do those come from? They come from the heart. So catch this. This is so crucial for the rest of chapter 5. Jesus isn't making up new rules here. He's revealing the heart behind the original rule. Do you see that? And it changes everything. Jesus isn't making up new rules. He's revealing the heart behind the original rule. And since Jesus isn't into making up new rules, since Jesus isn't into outside-in religion, when it comes time to apply this law of God, he goes a different direction. Look at verse 23. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. So you're offering your gift at the altar. You're doing this religious act, but then you remember a relationship. Your brother has something against you. Verse 24, leave your gift there before the altar. Stop the religious act. Instead, what do you do? First, go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is beautiful. Jesus just said that your relationships matter more than your religious reputation. Relationships matter more than your church attendance, more than your tithes and offerings, more than you looking like a good Christian. Jesus said relationships matter more than religion. So if you're sitting in church and you're listening to Doug preach a sermon and you remember that you were a jerk to your kids last night, then Jesus is saying, get up out of your chair, skip the rest of the sermon, and first go and be reconciled to your child. Restore that relationship. Jesus would rather you have healthy relationships than you have a good religious reputation. And honestly, I think for many of us, it can be difficult to follow Jesus because we had pastors or parents or coworkers or Sunday school teachers who valued their religious reputation more than they valued their relationship with you. Many of us have felt the sting of religion. The fights and yelling on the way to church, followed by shaking hands and smiling like everything's just fine. The hurtful words behind closed doors, followed by fake praise in front of other people. And if that's you, if you've been hurt, scarred, abused, neglected by the most religious people in your life, And that can make following Jesus difficult. Please hear this. Jesus does not approve of their behavior towards you. Not one bit. And even more importantly, Jesus would never treat you that way. Jesus values his relationship with you more than he values his religious reputation. Just ask the prostitutes who would wash his feet with their hair. 
Ask the lepers that he was willing to touch. Ask these religious leaders that he drove nuts. Jesus values his relationship with you more than he values his religious reputation. And Jesus values his relationship with you more than he values your religious reputation. I have to be honest, there's been too many times when I valued my religious reputation more than I valued my children's desire for my attention or my children's desire for my affection. And as I discover that in Jesus' kingdom, the heart matters most, that means I apologize to my children. I go and I repent to them because when the heart matters most, relationship matters more than religion. That's the first thing that Jesus highlights when the heart matters most in his kingdom. He, he keeps going, and he's going to give us another change that happens. Look at verse 27 with me. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her where, church? What's the next three words? In his heart, right? So Jesus, again, he takes it back to the heart. And we got to understand in light of this right here that the hyper-religious culture around Jesus at that time was dominated by men. Men made up the game. They called the shots. They made the rules. And these hyper-religious men agreed with God's original law that you shouldn't commit adultery, but they would look at women. They would ignore women. They would play with women. They would lust after women in their heart just as long as they didn't actually go and commit the adultery. But Jesus says to them, you've got it all wrong. You've let this rule give you permission to treat women like objects to be bought and sold, to be looked at and lusted after, to be played with and passed on to the next guy. You've missed the whole point. When the heart matters most, women matter too. In Jesus's kingdom, Women matter greatly. They are real human beings with relationships and hopes and desires and wisdom and value and dignity and worth and beauty. And Jesus reinforces this in verse 31. He says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now that's like in the Bible, but the, it's in Deuteronomy 24, the first five verses, it's in there, but the religious leaders took what was in the original law and totally twisted it for their own purposes. So Jesus, in verse 32, says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, that would have been crazy to say back then. It was radical. He says, if you divorce your wife for any reason, except sexual immorality, you're making her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In other words, you can't just write her a certificate of divorce if she burns the toast. 
You can't just pass her on to the next guy if you don't like the way she wears her makeup that day. It sounds crazy, but that's what they were doing. They would just write a certificate of divorce and move on to the next woman. Jesus is saying you can't just ignore them or write them off or think they're dumb because they disagree with you. In Jesus' kingdom, where the heart matters most, women matter too. So men, I speak as one of us. For far too long, we have gone on without really valuing the heart of the women around us. Married men, I challenge you to search your heart and ask these questions. Do I listen to my wife? Do I value what she shares? Would I give up my privilege and my power so that she could fulfill God's call on her life? Do I see her as a princess, as a queen, as a valued daughter of the king that she is? Or do I just use her, neglect her, ignore her if she doesn't really agree with me about something? Do I treat her as second class? Second rate, second place. Single men, I challenge you to ask these questions. Do I listen to the women around me? Do I value what they share? Would I give up my privileges and my power so that they can fulfill God's call on their lives? Do I relate to women like sisters with all Um, humility? Do I relate to them like mothers with all purity? Do I see them as the treasured and valued daughters of the king that they are? Or do I use them, neglect them, scoff at them? In Jesus's kingdom, where the heart matters most, oh, women matter greatly. And I can't move on from here without talking about pornography. 47% of families in America say that pornography is a problem in their family. Nearly 70% of men in America admit to viewing pornography at least monthly. 70%. About 50% of church-going men admit to viewing pornography. And in the time that it took me to share those stats with you, about $107,647 was spent in online pornography use. The stats are staggering. And if they're even remotely reflected in our church, that would mean that over 100 men are regularly viewing pornography starting at the youngest of ages. So let me be clear, men. Viewing pornography rewires the way your brain thinks. It re-triggers the way your heart feels towards women. Women become easy, cheap. You can pick them up or drop them off as you desire. They become objects to be looked at and lusted after, and we don't even have to write out a certificate of divorce. We can just click to the next site or keep scrolling through the feed. It's tragic. 
And it's not anywhere close to life in Jesus' kingdom. Not anywhere close to it. Men, Jesus' challenge to us today would be verses 29 and 30 of Matthew 5. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than than that your whole body go into hell. Those are real words, men. Jesus' words. And when our brains have been numbed and dulled by the sheer volume of pornography available on the internet and social media and TV and the ever-playing movie reel that goes in our minds, sometimes the shocking nature of Jesus' words are necessary to wake us up from our slumber. And Jesus says in a world and culture that says it's okay to go window shopping just as long as you don't touch, Jesus says to hell with that. In a world and a culture that says women are cheap, women are easy, pick them up or drop them off as you desire, Jesus says, to hell with that. In a culture that says women are dumb, women aren't smart, they need to just shut up and play the role, Jesus says, to hell with that. He would rather your eye and your hand go to hell than your heart go to hell. Jesus, men, hear this, Jesus isn't out to take away your pleasure or steal away your passions, or crush the true desires of your heart. He's here to give you the passions and the pleasures that your heart truly craves. And he's willing to call us out on the sin of demeaning women so that he can have our heart and bring healing and transformation and repentance, turning from that sin. Jesus Men, I, I get this. I've struggled with pornography in the past myself. So hear this. Jesus is not the moral police who's coming to look at your web history and who you follow on social media and tell you you're so stupid for doing that or why are you so dumb for looking at that? No, Jesus is Savior and King. He's here to forgive you of your sin, but he also reigns and rules to give you the power to change and turn from that sin. He wants your heart. He wants to give you something real instead of fake, something beautiful instead of digital, something full instead of something empty. But the question is, will you give your heart to him? Will you step out from behind your religion? Will you step out from behind your sin and leave your heart exposed to the inside-out, life-changing love of Jesus? When the heart matters most, women matter greatly. And women, I addressed most of that part of the sermon to men just because that's what Jesus did here, but let me just tell you, women, your heart is precious to God. Your personality and the desires that you have, the longings to know him intimately, the longings to influence this world for his glory are so valuable to Jesus. In his kingdom, you are not second rate. You are not second class. You are not second place. You matter greatly to him. Jesus continues in his sermon and he shows us how our words change 
our revenge changes, how we would treat our enemies differently when we understand that the heart matters most. But we don't have time to press into all of those, so we'll leave it for your city group to discuss and talk through this week. I'll close with the last verse, Matthew 5, 48. Jesus says, you therefore must be, what church? Perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. When, when I read those words, when I hear that, I just already want to throw in the towel. I'm not perfect. Like, I'm too religious. I'm not perfect. I've lusted after women. I'm not perfect. I've been hurt and scarred by others. And maybe you feel the same way. Jesus' standard, his expectations are just too high, too great, too perfect. But let's go back and remember what Jesus is doing here in this section on the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, Jesus is talking about perfection, but it's a perfection that begins and resides in the heart. It's not a perfection that gets straight A's on the religious report card. It's not a perfection that checks all the rule-keeping boxes. It's a perfection that flows from the inside out. There's only one person who ever had that kind of perfection. His name is Jesus, the one preaching this sermon. Jesus fully and completely, he perfectly fulfilled all the rules, all the law of God. Every last iota and dot, every last period and comma, Jesus perfectly obeyed from the inside out, which means Jesus could have pointed the finger at all of us and told us all of the little and the big ways that we have failed to do that. But here's the grace of Jesus. The only one who was ever inside out, fully and completely perfect, died for me who was inside out, fully and completely sinful. So when I give my heart to him, like my heart, with all of its bumps and bruises and sin and religion and lust and lies, when I give my imperfect heart to Jesus, he gives me his perfect, fully and completely righteous heart inside me. It's my imperfection for his perfection. Let me make it personal. When you give your heart to Jesus, I mean your heart with all of its bumps and bruises and sin and religion and lies and lust, when you give your imperfect heart to Jesus, he gives you his fully and completely inside out perfect heart to you. It's your imperfection for all of his perfection. So you can come to this Jesus today. You don't have to build up your religious reputation. He would rather have a relationship with you anyway. You don't have to erase your web history. He's going to wash you whiter than snow. You don't have to know all of the rules. He's going to write them on your heart. This morning, would you step out from behind your religion, out from behind your sin? And trust in Jesus. Have relationship with him. Enjoying life in his kingdom. Amen, church? Let's pray together. Mm, 
just where you are, would you invite Jesus to start working in you, speaking to you? There's a good chance that as I was preaching this morning, you, you heard something that penetrated to your heart or stuck in your mind. And as you pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you just ask Jesus to drive that home? Would you ask him to make it a matter of your heart, not just another rule you got to follow the next seven days, but that it be a matter of heart to you. From the inside out, that you'd see that we would be able to comprehend that our sin isn't so much about breaking the rules as it's about breaking his heart. It's about breaking the relationship. Would you ask Jesus to come and do work inside your heart that only he can do? And just a couple practical things as you pray. Could you just ask the question, who do you need to apologize to? Whether it's a kid, spouse, co-worker. Who do you need to just lay down the religious reputation thing and instead value that relationship? Some of you need to ask, who do you need to confess to? You've kept it secret for so long. And Jesus is gently inviting you, or maybe forcefully challenging you to confess that sin. Bring it out into the light so you can experience healing so that you can be experience repentance and true change from the inside out, leaving it behind, saying goodbye to it. Oh, Father God, would you work in us? We know that you value our hearts, you value relationship, and those rules are in place so that we can know you more deeply, so that we can cherish you and delight in you, follow you, from a transformed heart. So would you do that in our hearts? Even today, Holy Spirit, come and work and move in us. Do what we can't do. Open our eyes to see the brilliance and the beauty of Jesus so that we follow him freely. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.